You're listening to Body IO FM with your hosts, Kiefer and Dr. Rocky, where cutting edge science meets the razor's edge of health and performance. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Body IO FM with your host, Kiefer. And my co host, Dr. Rocky, is not in studio today. And that's because we've decided rather than record a new podcast, uh, we wanted to rehash some old material that is very fitting to conversations that we've been having recently. And for those of you who've been around for a long time, you know that I've always had an interest in health and longevity, uh, but that's always kind of been second fiddle, at least in the public eye, uh, to performance applications and body recomposition. Well, you know, and recently I've made the shift to practically almost, uh, you know, I won't say completely, but there's definitely been a, a major shift towards the health and longevity aspect. Uh, I, I don't care what it is that you do, whether it's health uh, related or for health related reasons or aesthetic reasons or performance reasons. There's no way, there's no reason you can't get optimal health out of your body while performing optimally at whatever task it is that you've chosen, whether that's just living life and being able to play with your kids and being able to see your grandkids or, and play with your grandkids or beating cancer or sitting at your office job while still being healthy and active to uh, competing in a strongman competition or getting on stage and being as lean and as muscular as possible if you're a male or as lean and as healthy as possible if you're a female. Uh, there's no reason you can't achieve these things. And pre on previous shows, on my last podcast actually, I had some guests on in particular who were very focused on health and disease prevention. And one of those was Dr. Bruce Ames, who we've talked about recently uh, specifically because we've had one of his, um, I won't say pupils, but somebody who's been working closely with him and sees him as a mentor, uh, Dr. Rhonda Patrick, uh, has been on this show. And she, of course, only had amazing things to say about Dr. Ames, uh, just as I feel for my conversation with him. So we are actually replaying an old podcast with Dr. Ames in order to reintroduce him to the audience and the things he had to say. And now there are some great points, and this is particularly around the time when I started to develop my philosophy that vegetables are pretty much useless in the diet, that you can get much better effects focusing on animal foods than really worrying about plant foods whatsoever. And of course, this spawned the comment that got me in trouble on stage, at least, uh, that vegetables really are only a vessel for butter. And uh, you could expand that to a vessel for healthy fats, which from my perspective are almost always animal fats or saturated fats, uh, say like coconut oil. And Dr. Ames has some interesting things to say on the subject, although he's not in complete agreement with me. Uh, he does have some interesting things to note about how we look at organic food, how important it is to eat organic, which... It turns out it's not necessarily important at all. It might even be, if your concern is the consumption of carcinogens, it might actually be worse than eating some conventionally raised crops. And 
I'm not talking about eating corn or wheat, but, you know, I'm even talking about, you know, the uh, less commercialized or, or less mass produced things like asparagus and different nuts and apples and cherries and those things. Uh, you know, it, it comes down and the research is consistently, consistently showing there's really no difference between those two. And that's nutrition wise, that is uh, cancer wise, There, there's really no difference between those two. There's no reason necessarily to eat organic, uh, which can actually even be worse for the environment because of the things that need to be done in order to consistently be organic. Uh, and, and here I'm talking about legitimately being organic, not just some major supermarket chain labeling things organic that they got from China that were probably fertilized with lead. You know, who knows? Uh, I'm talking about legitimate organic farming. Uh, there's a lot of downsides to it and just really no upsides. If you're really concerned about the environment, your best bet is to shop locally, local farmers markets and things of that nature. Um, but Again, you know, a lot of this will come out in this previous podcast that I've had with Dr. Ames, and I just wanted to reintroduce him to the audience because he's just such a wealth of information, and I feel I was very lucky to have an opportunity to speak with him uh, because he is very, very busy. Uh, he's a clinician. He does active research. Um, so, you know, I, I was very lucky to have him on the show and speak with him, and I, I enjoyed the conversation immensely. Uh, and at this point, I should go ahead and mention the sponsors, Highlight Athletic Wear, and also remind everybody, you know, I, I took it as a huge compliment. We had some comments on Twitter that I should, you know, have a donation button for uh, Body.io FM because I, you know, we try to give out great content and they felt and people feel it's, it's very valuable and they would be willing to donate to listen. Uh, and I'm very flattered by those comments. Uh, but, you know, really my goal here is to get this information to as many people as possible. And for those of you who've bought any of my products, uh, that is the way that you support all of my endeavors and not just this podcast, um, but all the things that I've been trying to accomplish. So, you know, really my goal with this is not to get a donation to keep this thing going or to get more sponsors, but it's really just to get everybody to share this around as much as possible and to help others learn that good information is out there. Uh, so, you know, like like these podcasts on iTunes in, pers- uh, in particular, uh, SoundCloud, share them around on Facebook, Twitter, whatever it is, whatever your choice of sharing is, even if it's just sending, it, sending an email to your friend or your family, uh, that's good enough for me. I, I just really want this information to get out there. And so... Uh, I hope everybody enjoys hearing this conversation with Dr. Bruce Ames uh, as much as I had having it and as much as I had uh, listening to it again before putting this all together. Hello? Hello, Dr. Ames. This, yes. This is John Kiefer. Hi. Hi. How are you doing today? Fine. Um, thanks for this opportunity to uh, get you on the phone and, and interview you a little bit about... Um, Especially my main interest is the carcinogenic chemicals and just everything we eat, not just artificial things. So you, you've been in the world of toxicology a, a long time. Well, it was more a hobby, actually. Oh, really? Um, I, yeah, my main interest had been in how genes get turned on and off. I was sort of a half a geneticist, half a biochemist. 
before the two fields had merged and I saw all these wonderful problems. The geneticist turned up but didn't know how to tackle and the biochemist didn't know existed. So I, I had a happy life tackling all of those. And then at one point I read, uh, so I was always interested in mutagens and damage to DNA. And at one point I read some potato chip packages and saw all these synthetic chemicals and I thought, gee, somebody ought to have a way of screening those so we weed out any mutagens. Um, um, I started working on that as a hobby and ended up, um, eventually it became a major research project and I'm still working on prevention of disease. So my main interest lately is nutrition. Ah, yes, that's that's where we uh, collide a little bit. Um, my background is actually I'm I was I, I started in engineering and found it very boring and thought I would go into sports medicine and realized that was even more boring uh, and found my way into physics and then carried that all the way through graduate education. But I always uh, maintained like a medical interest in nutrition and human performance and I was always lucky enough to be by excellent medical libraries so I would go and look up the latest research and try to make sense of all the disparate pieces and and try to come up with a synthesized view of not only performance in those cases but also health because you know I'm as I get older I realize it's not all about top performance it's about maximum performance for as long as I live instead of just uh, no, a short window. Nutrition is where the gold is because everybody's eating such a horrible diet. They're fouling up their metabolism and it ages them faster. I can talk about that at some point if you want me to. And, um, and so we're sort of figuring out some of the principles and uh, obesity is a complete disaster. Every possible disaster is linked to obesity. Whatever they've looked at, brain decay and heart decay and cancer, you name it, it's linked to obesity. Um, but in part, they're eating the worst diet in the country, and I think that's what's making them fat. It's not just calories in and exercise out. Right. Anyway, that's... No, I, I, I totally agree with that. Do you, do you see an interplay with... Um, so my thoughts on that would be that insulin because we eat so many carbohydrates and we constantly have a release of insulin and one of its main functions in the body is to instigate growth and repair, which of course is going to increase cellular turnover. Uh, do you see that as, as part of the problem aside from just the horrible crap that we eat all the time at McDonald's? Well, so part of it is you need about uh, 15 vitamins and 15 minerals mm -hmm. to run your metabolism. They're cofactors for enzymes that do chemical work. And uh, you also need fuel uh, so you can make the energy. But uh, these 30 micronutrients, they're called, uh, the vitamins and minerals, you don't get any one, you die. But if you, what we've shown is you get a little low on any one, and the body has a trade off built into metabolism. The proteins, the these enzymes that need it for survival and reproduction hang on to it, and anything that's long-term gets disabled. So you're basically trading short-term survival for long-term health. And long-term, preventing DNA damage or repairing DNA damage or 
uh, preventing calcification of the arteries or uh, bone fractures, you name it. It's anything that we associate with aging. It's only insidious damage that eventually accumulates and ages you. Well, that just happens a lot faster when you're not getting your vitamins and minerals. And it's, they're cheap, so it's just a matter of knowledge and working it out. And nutrition's hung up on short-term effects, and they should be long-term effects. Anyway, we're, we're trying to uh, redo nutrition to a large extent, but that's a fair amount of work. Right, especially since the majority of the country is educated on policy rather than science. I find that to be the biggest difficulty is helping people understand that U.S. policy is, has very little of a scientific base behind it. Yeah, no, policy is what will get politicians reelected. <laughs> I'm getting a little cynical in my old age. Right. Well, politicians can rob A and give it to B and, uh, and promise you a free lunch, they'll do it. <laughs> um, right. So I, I hope you don't mind me bringing it up. Uh, I believe you... You started a company, Juvenon, is that correct? Yeah, and some years ago. Yeah, is that, um, is that formulation that contains the uh, 15 minerals and 15 cofactors? No, Juvenon was something else. Oh, okay. uh, I got interested in mitochondrial decay as one of the weak links in aging. Mitochondria are these little organelles in every cell. Maybe they're 500 mitochondria per cell. Mm -hmm. And what they do is they burn fuel, which is fat and carbohydrate, and that burning them means taking electrons from the fuel, and you add the electrons to oxygen, which is the electron acceptor, and you add four electrons to oxygen, you're home safe to water. But if you add them one at a time, you make all these powerful oxidants. Mm -hmm. And so, so mitochondria are these little power plants in every cell to generate energy. And... Um, with age, the mitochondria decay, they're putting out more byproducts, which are powerful oxidants, which are mutagens and damage your DNA and damage everything else. And so that all goes down with age, and it's accelerated by not getting your vitamins and minerals. And so um, that's, so anyway, we became interested in studying mitochondrial decay, and I had a wonderful postdoc, Tori Hagen, who came to the lab in Newell something about mitochondria. And so he tackled the problem and he set up four assays in mitochondria that decline with age. Uh, and so we set those up and we looked at it in rats and, um, and then we looked in the literature and some Italians had fed a mitochondrial metabolite, a normal biochemical, mm -hmm. uh, acetylcarnitine to old rats and it, it improved some functions. So we tried that and it improved three of our four functions. So we thought, gee, that's neat. Mm -hmm. And then we looked for something that improved the fourth function that we had set up. And, and that was that with age, mitochondria stopped pouring out all these mutagenic oxidants, mm -hmm. which can oxidize your lipids and they go rancid or oxidize your protein or oxidize your DNA. And it's a mutagen. So, and then we found another mitochondrial metabolite, lipoic acid, that um, solved that problem. When we fed the two together, the, I made the mistake of putting in some 
news report, or telling some newspaper reporter, the old rats got up and did the Macarena. Oh. <laughs> Just, I was feeling happy that day, but mm-hmm. it appeared in all the news stories around the world, and I got a few letters. I got one angry letter from some Scottish scientists who chewed me out for about six pages that it wasn't scientific, and they didn't really get up and do the Macarena, <laughs> etc. Anyway, so... Um, and we did this in rats, but these are biochemicals that would be being given to people for other things. And so I thought, why not try and get a patent and combine them? The university gave us a little pressure on that. So the university took out a patent and a businessman friend of mine said, let's form a company. I said, I'm way too busy to form a company. Mm. And, uh, and it's a sort of conflict of interest. He said, I'll do all the work. You just advise on the science. So I put all my stock in a foundation so I don't make any money out of it. And um, the company does well, and it's called Juvenon. It sells a mixture of these two compounds. And uh, we, get a, we have a lot of satisfied customers, uh, but it, it's still rat work, not people yet. But uh, the human uh, improved cognition in rats and in dogs, and uh, now there's some stuff that looks promising in humans. So I'm still quite optimistic about it. Oh, that's great. Uh, and that's one thing that uh, I've tried to do over the years, especially when I look into nutrition and everything, is try to also look for those correlative human studies because a lot of stuff that we get bombarded with, you know, is is from anything in studies with zebrafish to mice and to just extrapolate without assuming there's going to be any differences, I, I think is somewhat asinine. Yeah, no, humans aren't rats, and or some of us are. Oh. <laughs> is that back to the politicians? Yeah, in a fit of enthusiasm, uh, when we had just done this and we we're writing up the paper, I called up my son in New York and said, one of my students seems to be changing old rats into young rats. And it was silent for a few seconds, and then my son said, Oh, that's all very well and good. But you let me know when you do the next step, when you change old people to young rats. <laughs> you get away with anything. But, but in addition to whatever help we can give the mitochondria, which decay with age, you need to be eating the optimum diet so your metabolism is all tuned up. And that's what my main interest is now, how to determine that. Uh, what, if, if you don't mind me asking, what work do you do at the children's hospital right now? Well, that's what we're doing. We're oh, okay. working to, um, on nutrition. Nutrition is such a mess because uh, epidemiology is such a difficult subject. You study something in humans, but you never quite establish causality. It's some association. The, uh, and half the time they get the wrong answer. So what it means is the field is very muddy and that's why people in the harder scientists kind of look at epidemiology at uh, nutrition almost as if it's sociology but nutrition is better than that and the new the epidemiologist joke is miami is a weird place everybody's born hispanic and dies jewish <laughs> that's called confounding yeah. <laughs> right that's uh i that's one thing that i've 
uh, you know, I, I talk about that all the time, the difference between a controlled case study or, well, a controlled study with, um, you know, a, a placebo group and then these epidemiological studies that really the only thing they can do is bring up a question. They're kind of that first step in the scientific process. It's like... But we, people overinterpret and... As I say, half the results are wrong or really not causal, so it, it it's a muddy field. But that, but they're good people, and it's slowly getting more knowledge. But it, it's a couple of steps forward and one step back. And anyway, we're trying to put some theoretical grounding on some of this. Yeah, it just frustrates me, and I, I think you know I blame the media most of the time that they do present it as as evidence for something rather than, okay, we've got this correlation. Now it's time to start to do the experiments and find out, was it correct? Like you said, or is it just happened to be a correlation and something else is, is the, the cause. And that's always, yeah, no, the media blows up all sorts of minor hypothetical risks. And by the time you've done that a hundred times, you've completely confused the public because they don't know what's important anymore. And the important things for lowering your disease risk, cancer and all sorts of other things, is to eat a really good diet and uh, to not smoke. Those are the huge things out there. Right. And I, I thought that was interesting. I saw a little, uh, I think it was, um, you just did an 11-minute presentation at, at some um, banquet or dinner. And I thought it was interesting you, you had talked about, and, and I hadn't seen those until that point, that you know, we, we hear all this about cancer rates are skyrocketing when, in fact, once you take out the smoker data, it turns out cancer rates for everybody else have been slowly declining over the years. No, uh, uh, there's so much misinformation out there and organic food and uh, uh, scaring everybody about a part per billion of pesticides is all a distraction from the important things. It's what your mom told you, eat your veggies and don't pick out on too much junk food. So we shouldn't be eating any refined food. When you eat refined food, it doesn't have any vitamins and minerals. It's just pure sugar or carbohydrate that goes to sugar. And it's then you fill up and you're not getting your vitamins and minerals. And that's what's really keeping you healthy. That's, uh, I, I really like hearing you say that because I've been trying to make that push recently. There's all these, so is it a ketogenic diet? Is it a low carb diet? Is it a high carb diet? Is it paleo diet? And when you look at all the different types of diets across all the different populations, uh, what really is key is the lack of refinement in their food. It, it almost has nothing to do with the base components uh, it's really interesting. It's just the lack of refinement. And you are, you're one of the first person that people I've heard, you know, state it as, as simply as that. And, uh, you know, so the Iranian diet's a healthy diet. The Japanese diet is a healthy diet. And they're long, that people live to a ripe old age, but they're not drinking sugary soft drinks and filling up with 40 grams of sugar and no nutritive value. Uh, you should give your kids water, not sugary soft drinks. And same thing, no cake for dessert, have a fruit for dessert. Right. And oh, it's your mom, people's moms knew this. I think the moms who didn't tell their kids to eat their fruits and vegetables were selected out by evolution. 
<laughs> that's an interesting story. That's one that we need some epidemiological studies on so that we can have that question to then answer later. Or, or we could just use it as proof in the media. Longevity is associated with a good diet. The Japanese are living well past their 80s, and the Japanese-Americans in the United States live a long life. But it's not genetic. It's the way they, uh, their lifestyle. They're eating a healthy diet. A lot of fish, not too much meat, and lots of fruits and vegetables. And the southern Italians and the Greeks eat a healthy diet. Now, the Greeks smoke like chimneys, so that takes life, but their diet is pretty good. Um, so I'd like to circle back around to the, and uh, this is one of the key points I wanted to discuss is that, is the scare that has come up in the recent, I, it's probably like the last four decades now about this fear of pesticides. And that's how I first became familiar with your work was through an article in the Australian mag- science magazine Cosmos. And they did an expose on organic foods. And is it, you know, is it science or is it hype? And what I found really interesting, and, and this is where I stumbled upon your article, um, carcinogens, 99.99% natural, and how little carcinogenic material, or, or, or just how little pesticide we actually get in our diet compared with natural pesticides, you know, the chemicals that the plants make themselves to repel worms and molds and infections and things like that. And I had never thought about that or even heard about that until that article. And I still... Yeah, if you really want to prevent cancer, which was my field for a long time, and now I'm preventing disease in general, um, you have to look at the big picture because you really don't want to work on minor stuff because you, you can put a lot of energy in and you won't get anywhere. So, and the big things are diet. It's what we leave out of our diet that's important. Uh, well, you could say you're eating too much sugar so you fill up and don't get your vitamins and minerals, but the vitamins and minerals are essential for keeping your metabolism going well. You, With age, you decay, and you're putting out mutagens in your own body and battering up your DNA and all of that. And the eating a bad diet just accelerates all that. And smoking, we all know, is about eight years off your life if you're a two-pack-a-day smoker. And I think most people know that by now. But you see worrying about uh, some pesticide and they're smoking away or or eating junk food. Anyway, I got into that in part because uh, my passion was preventing cancer. It seemed like everybody was off on the wrong track. And so, which gets down to animal cancer tests. We did a lot of work. We set up a database with my late colleague, Lois Gold, who just died recently. Uh, We wrote a hundred papers analyzing animal cancer tests and what they mean. And so animal cancer tests are a reasonable thing to do. I mean, in the old days, we knew workers got cancer from waiting around in some chemical in a chemical factory. And so we know chemicals can cause cancer. And so it seemed very reasonable to test these chemicals in rats and mice, and which are relatively inexpensive, though in the end it costs a million bucks to do an animal cancer test because of 
expensive pathologists and you need 50 animals and some of them get cancer anyway, etc., etc. So, but people made a, a whole a series of assumptions when they did this and they've all turned out to be wrong. So there's some funny business going on. So first assumption was, well, what do we test? Well, since we know a few cases of cancer were caused by synthetic industrial chemicals, uh, workers in the aniline dye industry got bladder cancer, but they were getting huge amounts of this stuff. And uh, so the thing was, well, we should be testing uh, synthetic chemicals. That's the evil thing. But they forgot about the whole natural world, which are most of the chemicals you're getting into. But nature's in that view. Nature was benign. But we know nature isn't benign. There's aflatoxin and molds make a nasty carcinogen and... uh, Lead and arsenic are purely natural, but they'll give you cancer. And it's the main pesticide in the world. And so nature isn't benign. And anyway, so that was the assumption. And what, lo and behold, they tested these chemicals. And since it's expensive to do the test, they tested them at the maximum tolerated dose. So you find a little that'll kill the animal. You back off just a little bit and feed it every day of a lifetime. And the assumption was, well, if a big dose will give cancer, then a little dose would. And uh, so, anyway, those they were seemed reasonable at the time. But when we set up this database of all the animal cancer tests in the world, something fishy came up. And that is that half of all the chemicals they tested came out positive. They caused cancer in rats and mice. And so that seemed funny. And... Then we looked at the natural chemicals, and half of those came out positive. And of course, 99.99% of the pesticides you eat are natural pesticides. See, people sort of forgot that all of plant evolution is chemical warfare. Plants are out there. They don't have immune system. They can't run away. So all their defenses are making newer, nastier chemicals to kill off the predators, to kill off the insects and the yeast and the bacteria and and the animals that are going to chew on them. And so we wrote a review pointing out that 99.99% of the pesticides you eat are nature's pesticides. These, every plant you eat in the supermarket has 100 toxic chemicals in it. Now humans have picked the main source of poisoning in kids used to be when kids went out and ate the shrubbery. I mean, you just can't go out and start eating wild plants. So we, over the millennia, we've bred plants to be less toxic and pick plants that are, uh, we know don't do any harm, but they're still full of toxic chemicals. And when you test these in animal cancer tests, and that was an important control that nobody ever did, but we wrote some papers about all this, that half of those chemicals come out positive. So you're eating 10,000 times more of nature's pesticides than man-made pesticides. And the hit right in finding carcinogens is exactly the same whether you do natural or synthetic. Half of them come out positive. So all these sort of funny things started coming out of the woodwork when you look at the thing rigorously. And so we started pointing out, hey, what's going on? 
maybe this maximum tolerated dose is giving cell killing and cell division, all of which can be a risk factor for cancer and inflammation, which can be a risk factor for cancer. So maybe it's a high-dose artifact. Now, the people who spent their lives cramming huge amounts of chemicals into rats and mice uh, weren't happy to get this message. And, but I think we've pinned it down as far well as anybody can. Of course, the people doing this said, oh, oh we pick more suspicious chemicals. Well, there's some of that, but again, when you look at do people know how to identify cousin in advance, the answer is no, no more than just chance. And uh, so, and once you know that nitrosamines are carcinogenic, then we test lots of nitrosamines. So there's some reason for thinking there might be some bias, but it doesn't explain it all. And I think it's, there are a lot of reasons for thinking this huge dose right under the toxic dose can be a carcinogen all by itself. Anyway, the key control was looking at the natural world, and you look at chemicals in broccoli, half of the ones that have been tested come out positive. There are 100 toxic chemicals in broccoli, uh, cyanides and all sorts of nasty things, isothiocyanates. Look at the chemicals in coffee. When you roast a cup of coffee, they've described a 1,000 chemicals from roasting your coffee, and the ones that have been tested, half of those come out positive. So the more carcinogen in a cup of coffee, then pesticide ratio you get in a year. So, but I did about, ah, industry's nasty, they'll poison the grandmother for a buck, uh, which never seemed very plausible to me. I mean, if you're running a company, you don't want to poison your customers. So anyway, uh, we, uh, Lewis Gold and I wrote, as I say, well over 100 papers kind of puncturing all these environmental balloons. And we think we won the scientific argument, but we clearly lost the PR argument because organic food is a big thing. And then people say, well, you're protecting the environment with organic food. What does that mean? What you want to do is grow the most food you can on the smallest amount of land. Uh, and so anyway, I never bought any of this and never seemed very plausible to me. And epidemiology doesn't have the power to pick up a 1% increase in cancer or something like that. So it, it really can't tell you anything useful. And, uh, and so there's really no convincing evidence that pesticides give us cancer or is something we really want to worry about. What you want to worry about is not getting your folic acid because you don't get that in your food. You're breaking your chromosomes just like radiation. And that's pinned down in humans, in rats, in mice. So, uh, and where do you get your folic acid? In your greens. But Americans aren't eating a lot of greens. And folia is the Latin word for leaf, and it's one of the vitamins. Anyway, uh, so the important thing is to eat lots of fruits and vegetables and more fish, a third of your brain is omega-3 fatty acids, and where do you get that from? Deep sea fish. And people aren't eating enough fish, they're eating too much red meat, and they're not eating enough fruits and vegetables. And nuts are healthy, and berries are healthy. So most nutrition people kind of know those sort of things, but we're putting, we hope we're putting all this on a firmer foundation now. Right. Well, um... A couple interesting points. I, they've done uh, a lot of collagen studies on Paleolithic men, and 
it was interesting that you brought up that point about the majority of the brain or one third of the brain is uh, omega-3 fatty acids. I think it's a lot of DHA. Uh, that was a main difference they found between Neanderthals and Cro-Mayan where that the Cro-Mayan started to introduce a lot of fish into their diet uh, and, and the Neanderthal man never did. Uh, and, and so that there's, you know, um, a suggestion that that is what helped the Cro-Mayans to develop such large mental capacities so much faster than Neanderthals could keep up with. Uh, so that's an interesting point. And then most of us don't even get the basic fuel to maintain that advantage that we got over the years from I- introducing those kind of fats into our diet. Yeah, and um, and I'm uh, what we're showing now is that even moderate deficiencies of any of these vitamins and minerals can cause DNA damage and age it faster in some way. So we're really pinning all that down now. I call it triage. That built into your metabolism is this rationing system because it's been going on through all of evolution. Animals, the minerals aren't spread evenly through the world and the animals... Uh, so the red soils with a lot of iron and soils with low iron, the soils with lots of selenium and soils with too little selenium. So you'll poison yourself by getting too much selenium or you'll poison yourself by not getting enough selenium. So it's, um, anyway, which doesn't mean you want to overdo it because metals look a lot alike. So calcium and magnesium are right above each other on the periodic table. And you, the body with magnesium, you'll trash some calcium enzymes and vice versa. So the body really cares about the ratio. So I think you shouldn't be taking calcium pills. You should be taking calcium magnesium pills and you can buy those. And so metals, you have to be careful about not to overdo it. But most vitamins, uh, the amounts the body really can take large amounts. I I was just about to ask that if there were any consequences, at least, um, I, I know there are on the, the metal side, but I was just about to ask that if there's any consequences to super dosing with vitamins, which I know well, kind of goes in and out of vogue in the sports community. Well, and, and even in the community at large, somebody will come out and say this vitamin's great. So people tend to overdo it on a regular basis. Well, you tell people selenium's good for you. And you know that 5% of the population is going to go and poison themselves by eating too much selenium. Right. But um, most vitamins, I, I think you have a fair amount of leeway, but I wouldn't overdo it. The RDA is a reasonable first approximation. And, uh, but um, anyway, uh, there's some reasons in certain people up where you might need more of this vitamin or that vitamin, but that's something to be done with some knowledge. Yeah. Right. Uh, I just, where do you think... Um... And back to this, the organic thing, you know, one, one reason I'm against the organic movement, uh, like we talked about is it's not, there's been a lot of evidence that it's not sustainable. Um, and it can actually be bad for soil quality. And another is, you know, the organic varieties of food that we have to grow to naturally resist pests oftentimes have much higher amounts of those natural pesticides in them. Sometimes, and in some cases, um, I believe this was with some sort of leafy green. I don't remember which one it was, but the organic variety that was chosen had such high levels of a certain chemical, a lot of people were getting rashes and getting very sick from it. Um, Yes. The toxic chemicals in celery, 
as I say, every plant has a hundred toxic chemicals in it, uh, were compounds called sorolins, P-S-O-R-A-L-E-N. And those are uh, light-activated mutagens. They mutate your DNA and they can cause cancer. And celery has these things. But every plant is designed just the way the U.S., uh, when there's a war, you put a lot of resources into the army. But otherwise, the army is pretty small, or it used to be. And a plant might spend 5% of its energy on toxic chemicals because it protects them from the predators. But if it starts getting gnawed by some animal, it'll jack or insect, it'll make much more of these things. And so someone bred a celery that um, was very insect resistant. They didn't have to use any pesticides. So they were all happy and they introduced it into commerce. And then people started getting rashes uh, who handled the celery in the supermarkets when they went out in the light. And it turned out it had really high levels of these sorolins up at the level when the plant turns up all its, uh, uh, makes much more of them. Mm-hmm. And, and so, um, and some guy in Texas I know tracked all this down and uh, pointed this out. But so life is full of complicated trade-offs and perfection isn't available for humans. So all you can do is find out the big things and try and worry about those. And so um, I think the whole organic movement is a bit misguided. But environmental organizations don't like industry. They tend to come from the left and they uh, are very happy to say, I industry's poisoning you all. And it's some hidden poison for everybody that's agitated. But we're talking about awfully tiny amounts. And uh, I I just don't think it's in the radar if you really want to prevent disease. Right. Where do you think the, this overblown emphasis on, uh, on pesticides in the diet are, uh, I should say synthetic pesticides in the diet. Where did that start? Can, can you think of any defining moment or defining paper that would have tried? Well, the that? first guy I knew who was pushing all that was a guy named Sam Epstein, who was a British guy who came over here and was an MD. And he didn't really know much about mechanism. And he was testifying for lawyers who was suing companies over a part per billion or something or other. And so he was making millions per year on this. And I always thought he was a second-rate scientist, but he, he, he started a lot of that. And people got agitated and people start, activists started writing books. But the, there were mainly a lot of lawyers were making a living this way, but it wasn't, there wasn't much science to it. And I remember... I, I don't know. Oh. Uh, that people, but uh, I think most people are just misguided. But if you look at the big picture, that isn't where you're going to put your efforts to. Uh, now we're all getting fat and obesity, complete disaster. Every possible disease is linked to obesity. Brain, your brain decays faster, you get cancer, you get heart disease, your immune system goes out. Anything that's been looked at is much faster in obese people. So it's a complete disaster. A third of the country is obese. And partly the obese are eating the worst diet in the country. They're getting, they're all starving for vitamins and minerals. I think that's one of the reasons they're getting fat is that the body overrules their satiety signals and 
they're hungry all the time because their body's craving for the magnesium these people aren't eating. And the diet they're eating doesn't have any magnesium. Right. Magnesium. Uh, it, it was interesting. They've, they've done a lot of studies recently and that both here and um, in, in Brazil, interestingly, where there's these large obese populations and they're um, from lower socioeconomic classes and they're obese. And yet every time they're tested, they test the same as somebody who's completely malnourished. Um, and, and that's, you know, starving, they're starving right. for vitamins and minerals. Uh, all they're eating is sugar. So, um, it's a lack of knowledge. And you know, in the old days, your mom told you these things and it was a tradition that you ate your veggies and all of that. And now, Refined food is cheap, and so we're eating a big cake for dessert. But it's it's sugar, and oh, we're eating, drinking sugary soft drinks instead of water. It's a disaster. Or French fries. Anyway, you know, you you can eat a Big Mac and have some French fries once in a while. That's fine, but uh, I don't think you want to ban them. But uh, the you just don't want to eat an unbalanced diet without your greens. You're getting your fiber from vegetables, which is very important for gut health, and you're getting your vitamin, a lot of your vitamins and minerals. So you need to eat lots of veggies. And it, it might interest you. I don't know if you've heard of it. There's a new fast food company that's starting. Uh, it's starting in Silicon Valley around uh, the Apple campus and. And down there, and it's called Life, L-Y-F-E, Love Your Food Every Day. And it's actually one of the former executives at McDonald's is starting it. And his goal is to try to provide more healthy, less refined food on a large scale. And right now, they've only got one restaurant, but instead of French fries, they serve Brussels sprouts on the side. And all of their meat is, or um, I don't, I don't know if it's organic. I think it is, but more importantly, it's all grass-fed beef. Uh, things like that, and their goal is to eventually try to scale it on the scale of McDonald's, which I can't comprehend how they could possibly do that uh, with that model. But it is interesting. There, there is a movement even in large, large corporate-minded people to try to introduce more vegetables into the population. I'm not sure how well that would do in parts where I grew up in Indiana, and I can say right now that that restaurant, if it just opened, spur, you know spontaneously around where I lived, nobody would eat there. Yeah. Um. So it's culture. And uh, so I, as I say, I have an Italian wife and I'm, if I don't get a few veggies at, I, at uh, dinner, I feel sort of deprived. And uh, Brussels sprouts uh, sauteed in a little olive oil and mm-hmm. garlic is just so good. And, but it takes knowledge and they're expensive, and you need some knowledge on how to cook them. It isn't that you just buy a cake from the store or, or wolf down a hot dog. So Right. I, but, there was an interesting correlation that obesity, one of the main independent predictors of obesity is the lack of time spent in the kitchen. The more time you spend cooking, the less likely you are to be obese. Yeah, but it's knowledge. Yeah. Um, I wife was a professor of biochemistry. She's retired now, but she'd come home and she'd whip out a gourmet meal in 15 or 20 minutes. And, but it's possible. It's just, it's knowledge and how to do that. And 
But so you come out of the Italian tradition, you want a big plate of spinach or a big plate of some nice veggie Mm -hmm. in olive oil and garlic, and it's good. And so if you don't get your greens, you're not getting your vitamin K. Magnesium, the whole country is really short of magnesium. And magnesium's in every DNA repair enzyme, and it's in all 500 or so important enzymes in your body. And you're trashing all that when you don't get enough magnesium. And where is magnesium? It's in the center of the chlorophyll molecule. Is it a, uh, is a heme, a cage of some chelator with an iron in the center? And chlorophyll is a cage of some similar sort of chelator with a magnesium in the center. One's red and one's green. So anything green has magnesium. You eat a big plate of spinach, you're getting your magnesium. You don't, you don't. Mm-hmm. And so, and so, and you get your folic acid. Folia is the Latin word for leaf from from your greens, and you get your vitamin K from your greens, and then you're getting uh, your B12 from meat and you're getting your omega-3s from fish oil, and then nuts are healthy and uh, berries are healthy, but it's a matter of getting a good balanced diet. Uh, A little bit of a lot of things, which is why you shouldn't be eating too much refined food. Right. So give up bread and get whole grain bread, and give up the white rice and get whole brown rice and so on. Yeah, anyway. that it's it's interesting you talk about. I, you're absolutely right, and and some correlative studies are showing that too. That um, it, there's this threshold where if you get 35, they've they've got these different food group varieties, but if you get 35 different, if you can achieve 35 different varieties of food in just a week, your cancer risk just plummets. Um, heart disease plummets, like all these risk factors for disease, your risk of obesity plummets. And it's as simple as trying to, just like you said, very simple balance in the diet and trying to get a lot of different types of foods and staying away from the very simple refined things that are nutrient deprived. I think, like you said, is the real issue. Your your body is constantly malnourished and starving. So of course you're going to eat and you're going to overeat and you're going to have these cravings that you can't understand how to satisfy because you think you're eating enough food. Your your body's telling you something different, but I don't. I can't remember ever a time in my life where there was an emphasis on listening to your body. You know, it tells you a great many things. If you're hungry all the time, there's probably something wrong. If you're no longer a kid growing, if you're never hungry, that's probably a good thing. You're probably in a good homeostasis. Um, but and next. Exercise is important, too, mm-hmm. as we right. all know. My wife kept on nagging me I should get more exercise, and I'm working in the lab all the time. I'm in my mid-80s, and I'm still working five and a half days a week. I go in every Saturday afternoon. Anyway, she was nagging me to get more exercise, and one day I told her, when I feel like exercise, I run my experiments, I skip controls, and I jump to conclusions. <laughs> so, so much I talked about 50 times. And one day my wife said, I've heard enough of that damn joke. I'm getting you a personal trainer. So now I go and exercise. I'm sure it's good for me. Right. So your wives keep you healthy. Right. It's, <laughs> I, it, it's funny. I quit. I, I worked in software for a little while before I started doing this. And 
uh, I quit software because I really did not enjoy sitting in a chair all day, every day. So I moved into this, you know, exercise, health, nutrition field. And now I find that I'm creating so, you know, I'm doing so much research still and I'm writing articles and I'm doing interviews that I sit almost as much or more than I did when I did software. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of difficult to get back in that mindset that, you know, at least in my profession, exercising is part of my job. You know, I have to practice what I preach or, or what good am I, you know, I'm just a hypocrite. So, um, I knew that too. So it's, uh, anyway, I think all this knowledge is coming and we'll be able to, we've been working the last eight or so years and done 11 clinical trials on a kind of a super vitamin pill. It's not exactly a vitamin pill, but it's based on some fruit and chocolate. And then we've added in all the vitamins from A to Z, plus fish oil and those kinds of things, and um, fiber, which is very important for your gut health. And it does wonderful things to people. We're just trying to get the thing going commercial, but it's, we're very excited about it. This will raise your HDL and lower your LDL and lower your C-reactive protein and lower your insulin resistance and all these things. So, and it's without drugs. So I think we're in a drug mentality. You get sick and a doctor gives you drugs. And doctors don't know much about nutrition, but that's where the most of our problems are coming from is bad diets. And of course, smoke. Well, right, of course. It's, uh, that's kind of one of the tenets of, uh, I, I minored in, well, almost minored in psychology. I missed a couple courses, but the one thing that I remember from all that is that when it comes to behavior, people will not change their behavior or a habit unless the change is easier than the habit. And it sure is a lot easier to just take a pill and keep doing what you were doing every day instead of trying to change your entire lifestyle. And well, people in nutrition say, look, you can take a vitamin pill as insurance, but we don't know everything. And, and in fact, I think that's true. I think there are going to be a whole new set of vitamins that people haven't discovered. We think we're discovering some. And um, so uh, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Uh, something buzzed on my phone. Uh, so anyway, uh, so you shouldn't just live on pills, you should try and eat a good diet. But I think it doesn't hurt to take... Anyway, we've made this bar. I work at Cori Children's Hospital of Oakland Research Institute, which is associated with Children's Hospital of Oakland. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've developed this, what we call the Cori bar, over a series of years in clinical trials. And I'm uh, the obese people we gave it to say they feel better. And so we're hoping it's going to help people transition to a good diet because they'll feel much better. When you're obese, you're all inflamed and you feel lousy. Mm-hmm. That's not a way to live a life. And uh, so once you know how good you'll feel when you get your vitamins and minerals, then I think people will make an effort to do it. Yeah, that's and, a very powerful impetus. And I've I've had that. I've published a couple of diet books and... Uh, people who've used them and actually lost body fat, that's one of the first things that they talk about is 
you know, if somebody had told me how good I would feel if I lost that weight, um, I, I would have done this years ago. And that's hard to convey. So that's a powerful tool if you can actually give somebody just a supplement to say, look, here's just a taste of how good you'll feel. You know, here we just helped you out with, you know, the first step. Imagine if you do yeah. the second step. And exercise is part of that. I mean, we're designed to be exercising all the time. In the old days, there weren't elevators. Walk up the stairs. There weren't um, cars. So uh, our modern lifestyle is too much sugar and not enough exercise. Yeah, it's so. a lot of research is coming out in the, the cognitive science field, too, that our ability to reason and be logical and focus and concentrate actually comes from our ability and our efficiency at moving. Our bodies, oddly enough, create that logic center for the mind to use. And as that yeah. deteriorates, so does your IQ. You, you actually become um, less adept than you were as your body deteriorates and you're not able to move as well. And, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's interesting that that's ignored so heavily. And so what's the first thing we cut out of school programs? Recess. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, um, uh, you're right. Anyway, I'm excited. There's a lot of progress. And I think in the future, what you're going to do is you put your finger in a machine. It'll take a finger prick of blood. And now there's a company in, Colorado that can analyze a thousand different proteins on a finger prick of human blood. And they're working to get them all. So pretty soon they'll have 20,000 proteins. And then the machine will give the information to your iPhone and say, hey, you're low in magnesium. You really need to do something about that. Eat a big plate of spinach or take a calcium magnesium pill. And then, um, so that's the future. We're going to be tuning up our metabolism, and I think we'll all live longer and be a lot healthier and be smarter uh, when we do that. But it's coming. I have another friend who's putting a company in all the pharmacies in China to do that very thing. The Chinese are subsidizing him to do it. He's an American. And anyway, all that's going to come in 10 or 20 years will be deep into prevention. And that's the only, otherwise the country's going to go broke. Right. The, cost, uh, the cost of Medicare, Medicaid, all those are rising much faster than GDP. The country's going over a cliff. We'll be Greece tomorrow unless we tame all these entitlements. But partly that means why are we spending so much? Well, if, you, if there's no price on things, you'll spend as much as you can. And so you need to get a market in medicine and the government sort of removed that, but we need to get back to it, I think, anyway. Yeah. But I'm not an expert, that kind of thing. So. <laughs> no, I agree. I think it's a simple matter of people are trying to use insurance for chronic disease. It's, it's, almost, trying to like, it's almost like trying to use your car insurance to put a claim against it every time you fill up your tank of gas. You know, insurance is made for catastrophes. It's not made for sure things. And in the United States right now, it's almost a sure thing for the majority of the population that they will have some type of chronic disease. And that's not yeah. insurance. That's a form of unsustainable welfare. Essentially, you're just, you're paying people to be sick and stay, 
and stay sick, which isn't good for anybody. Nobody wants to stay sick and they don't. Yeah, no, it, I agree with you because obesity is such a costly disaster. It's going to be as bad as smoking and much more expensive. Years of expensive diabetes and, and then when your brain doesn't work well, that causes all sorts of other problems. So, uh, and now they want thin people to pay for the fat people. So one has to suffer for the bad behavior, I think. And you can educate people, but you don't want to make it easy. Right. Yeah. I, um, I totally agree with you. And, um, you know, I, I've kept you on the phone for almost an hour now. Uh, I, I don't want to keep you too much longer if you've got things to do. Yeah. So the bottom line is eat a good diet and don't smoke and get some exercise and, uh, You'll live a, to be a hundred, right. hopefully. Right. Make sure you get okay. variety in the diet so you get all your vitamins and minerals. Okay. Bye then. All right. Thank you very much. Have a good day, Dr. Ames. So that was uh, Dr. Bruce Ames one more time. Uh, you can find him at bruceames.org, B-R-U-C-E-A-M-E-S.org, and uh, find out some more information about him. And, um, of course, go to body.io for more information about everything that I do and uh, some of the literature that I have around the web and available for sale. Uh, like us on iTunes, and uh, I think that's all I've, all I've got to say right now. Uh, I hope everybody enjoyed the episode, and uh, Dr. Rocky and I will be back next week. All right, everybody have a good weekend. been listening to Body IO FM with your hosts, Kiefer and Dr. Rocky. If you'd like to hear more, log on to body.io. We'll be back next time with more science from the pinnacle of human health and performance.